congregation of believers, that is, our River of Life Christian Center family, co-pastor Joanne Rich, who is right here with me, and myself, Pastor Thomas Rich. We say greetings in Jesus' name. We're so excited uh, and, uh, and grateful that of all the places you could be on this Sunday morning, you've chosen to be right here with the River of Life family. We're so uh, excited because God has given us a word that I believe is going to bless your heart. We want to thank you. Uh, we've taken a, a two-week break. The last two Sundays, we uh, took a break because there was so much going on in our world and uh, in our church family and within our personal families. We've had people who have had death and, and sickness and all manner of challenges. So for the past two weeks, we taught out of a series entitled When Midnight Comes because we want all of us to know that midnight is a certainty, but God is able to raise us up in the midst of midnight. So we took two weeks off from It's Time for the Nehemiahs to Rise Up to talk about uh, when midnight comes. But, but you've got that now. You understand what to do. You know midnight is coming. As I'm sharing with you this morning, I'm, I'm sitting here and I know multiple families who have recently experienced loss. I guarantee you that's a midnight. But we refer you back to the River of Life Christian Center up a Marlboro page so that you can grab those two lessons and you can learn what to do when midnight comes. This morning, however, we're going back to part six of It's Time for the Nehemiahs to Rise Up. Family, we've been taking a deep dive into the book of Nehemiah. And the reason we're in Nehemiah is because every one of you have a call inside of you from God himself. And one of the things that we've been learning as we studied Nehemiah is that when God puts something in us, he also is responsible for steering it up and for equipping us, helping to, to get that vision activated so that we might be able to move in the direction that God is calling us to go. So without any further ado this morning, we're going to get right into the Word of God. Please remember, this is part six. Parts one through five was Nehemiah chapter one. We started at verse one of chapter one. We've gone down through verse 10 of chapter two. So this morning, we're going to begin at Nehemiah chapter two, verse 11. We're going to go as far as we can go with that today. But just remember, we're going somewhere. Nehemiah was important in the entire scripture because God was putting something in Nehemiah that he also wants to put inside of you and me. So button on your seatbelts, get ready. We're about to take off in part six of It's Time for the Nehemiahs to Rise Up. Family, if you would, I want to take time for a word of prayer, and then we're going to get started in the teaching of the Word of God. Father, we bless you. We honor you and we magnify you today for you are glorious, God. You are an incredible, 
awesome and amazing healer. You are a strengthener. You are a door opener. God, you are our way maker. And this morning, as we thank you and we, we look back to the challenges that we know many have been facing, and we look forward to the promise that you made to us. And you said to us in Isaiah 41 and 10, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will uphold thee and I will help thee with thy righteous right hand. God, we, we bless you and honor you as we look unto you today. Teach this word today, God. Uh, get in me and take total charge so that every mind, heart, and spirit might receive what thus saith the Lord. It's not about me today. I step back and ask you to come forward and teach this word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. So, part six. It's time for the Nehemiahs to rise up. And, and you know, as I was getting ready, I, I, I was thinking if I could give this uh, today a subtitle, I might call that subtitle The Ingredients of Leadership or The Law of Buy-In. Uh, you'll pick up on that as we go through the teaching today, but I'm going to begin our reading from verse 11 of chapter 2. And I'm going to read down through verse 16. I, I pray that we get that far this morning. The reading is from the New Living Translation. This is Nehemiah speaking. He says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Verse 13, And I went out by night, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Verse 14, And I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool. But there was no place for the beast that I was that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the last verse I'm going to read right now is verse 16. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor the priests, nor the nobles, nor the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Amen. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. So family, this morning, as I get started, in parts four and five of this series, we learned in verse five of chapter two, that Nehemiah had by this time committed himself to oversee the huge restoration project in Jerusalem that God had sown and stirred up in his heart. I, I, I hope you remember that. And we've also seen that God had 
provided Nehemiah, and I want you to catch this, with uncommon favor from King Artaxerxes. Even though Nehemiah was both a slave and the personal and trusted cupbearer of the king, God had still used King Artaxerxes to give Nehemiah uncommon favor. And as a result of that uncommon favor from the king, the king ordered Asap, the manager of the forest, to supply Nehemiah with all the timber that he needed because he understood that there was a tremendous restoration project that Nehemiah had to carry out when he returned to Jerusalem. Not only did he order Asap to give him all the timber that he needed to rebuild the walls and the gate, and even a house for himself. But then he sent a major army to protect Nehemiah and sent letters with Nehemiah so that the kings along the journey would understand that, yes, this was a Jewish man on his way to Jerusalem, but that he had the blessing of King Artaxerxes and that he was able to travel without being encumbered in his journey. Amen. Amen. Now, one other thing I want to mention about Nehemiah. I, I, I believe I mentioned this previously, but I want you to feel this as I mention this to you. The name Nehemiah meant that Yahweh has comforted. And if you go all the way back to the beginning of the lesson, when God began dealing with Nehemiah after you heard about the walls being destroyed, and we, we learned that Nehemiah had spent a, a four months praying. God was building him, strengthening him, and comforting him because he was equipping him for a major assignment, getting him ready. Uh, we learned in part five of our study that, that this book uh, was reminding us that Nehemiah was a man committed to prayer, and that prayer not only built up Nehemiah, but it comforted Nehemiah just as his name meant one of comfort. So Nehemiah was comforted and, and given hope by God, but that name also meant that God was comforting and giving Nehemiah hope as well as vision and that he was guiding Nehemiah so that no matter what trouble comes his way, that he would know that God would be his very present help in the time of trouble. That, that's a word for us today, family, because when God gives you an assignment, it is important for us to remember that if, if God has assigned it, God has also given you the stuff that you need to accomplish the assignment. He will comfort you when you need to be comforted. He will guide you when you need to be guided. He will hold you up when you feel weak and he will strengthen you on your every weak and your leading, every leaning side. In other words, he's going to build you up for your leadership assignment. But the, the challenge and the call that you have is to be faithful to what God has called you to do. So, going all the way back to the early verses in the book of Nehemiah, we, we remember that they open with reports of the dire condition of the walls. And I'm, I'm repeating this because we took a two-week break, that the dire condition of the wall. We learned that he was a cupbearer, and we learned that he had gained, as I mentioned earlier, uncommon favor with the king. 
The king said, uh, what's wrong with you? What do you need from me? And, and, and Nehemiah said, I've got to go back because I've got to restore the walls of the kingdom. Remember this. He was the king's cupbearer. He was a servant to the king. And the king, by all rights, had no reason to show favor to Nehemiah. He, Nehemiah was responsible for the king's safety. He was his personal uh, uh, agent of protection, if you will. And, and, and so he had no reason, but Nehemiah had built such a relationship with the king that the king said, what do you need? How long will you be gone? I've got you. I'll give you what you need and I will send an army to protect you. Now, now he never asked, asked for an army, but the king sent that for him anyway. Why? First point, Nehemiah had prayed fervently as he felt the vision of God being activated in his heart. And because of the fervency of his prayer, Nehemiah showed him uncommon, uncommon favor. Let's go to verse 11. Uh, in verse 11, Nehemiah says, So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. In other words, y'all, it took three days for him to travel from Persia all the way to Jerusalem. That's a long journey, y'all. And, and one of the things I want you to notice in that verse, he says, So I arrived. One of the things that I picked up in, in that, that two-letter word, so, really, was the fill-in for a lot of what Nehemiah could have told us about the journey. That journey had all manner of experiences, but Nehemiah was brief in his verbal description. And so he simply took a two-letter word, S-O, and said, so I arrived. He didn't fill in. We don't know all that happened upon the journey. We know that he got the timber from ASAP. We, we know that uh, he had an army with him. But I'm, I'm, I'm showing you that word so because when God gives you and me an assignment, there's a lot of souls in between receiving the assignment and the fulfillment of the assignment. There's much that may go on. Sometimes you get slapped around. Sometimes you get knocked down. Sometimes you lose the ability to see where you're going. Darkness settles in. And, and, and it becomes absolutely essential that on the journey, doing what God has called us to do, that we must look up and remember that it's not about us, but it is about God. So he said, so when I arrived three days later, I hope you're catching that because uh, he didn't fill in all of the blank spaces but it's important to know there will be all manner of obstacles along the journey. Verse 12. Verse 12, now he's in the city. And we don't know what else happened after he arrived in the city. But we know that when he arrived that there was a stare that occurred because here comes this peculiar man with an army and some letters from King Artaxerxes who is not a Jew. And, and then the next thing we see is in verse 12. Watch this. He says, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. Then he says, 
I had told, I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals except the donkey that I was riding on. In other words, y'all, taking pack animals usually mean that you got a big journey in front of you. You're taking your supplies and you're equipped because you don't know what might come up, but you always want to be ready for the journey. The fact that he didn't take pack animals did not mean that he wasn't expecting to hit what he was about to do was a long journey, but he meant that he had to travel light. And it also is important to remember that he says only a few folk went with him, but he told nobody what he was up to. He simply said, we're on our way. Leave your animals behind. I'm the only one riding on a donkey. So he said he took nobody, he told nobody. Now, family, there are many folk who work to be seen and to get recognition. Uh, when we're doing something special, many times we want other folk to see what we're up to. We want them to be able to pat us on the back. We want to be able to, to get attention. Lord knows we're living in a political season where all of our politicians, they do nothing unless they think they're going to get credit for it. They don't go out to work for your good or my good. They work for the pat on the back and for the vote. That was not this leader named Nehemiah. Nehemiah could care less who knew what he was up to, and he was not looking for the attention of anyone. He took a few folk, but didn't even let on what he was up to because Nehemiah was certain of his calling and of his anointing. That's an important point, y'all, because when God is calling you to an assignment, often we want other folk to know all about it. We like to show off. We like for people to say, oh, he's so anointed. Yeah, he has a mighty calling. Nehemiah was just confident in the calling and the anointing that God had given him. So when he arrived in Jerusalem, he wasn't making a show. He went out by night, didn't want anybody to see what he was up to, and he told nobody what, excuse me, what he was doing. In other words, he was traveling under the cover of darkness, y'all, and he was, his goal at that point that night was he went out to inspect the walls. In other words, God had given him an assignment, restore the walls, rebuild the gates, and bring security to my city. And before he could do the work, he had to examine what needed to be done. And because he didn't want to make noise about it, didn't want the enemy or anybody else to scope out what he was up to. He didn't tell a soul what he was doing, but he went out by night and he began moving around the city, inspecting the walls to see what, was, what the damage was and what it was going to take in order to restore the wall. In other words, y'all, he didn't carry a posse. He didn't carry an entourage. It was just him and a few folk. There wasn't a parade. There was no attention. This guy 
in other words, was not a political leader, yo. He was simply a man who was responding to his call from God. Nehemiah, in other words, was all about his father's business. It was not about attention. It was not about uh, a pat on the back. It was simply God has given him an assignment and he wants to be sure that he could accomplish the assignment. So he's studying before he begins his work. First point I want you to gather today is this. As a leader, one of the first things that we ought to gain, and you won't know this if you're looking at politicians. You won't even know this if you're looking at some spiritual leaders. But you will know it when you see a man or a woman of God who recognizes that they have the call of God and they are confident in their call and their anointing. And that point is this. God has not called us to be showy, but he has called us to be steady. So I want you to understand today that when God has called you, number one, be steady on your assignment. Don't be showing off. Don't look for the pat on the back. Don't be concerned whether people say, I like what you're doing. You're doing a good job. The only one that matters is when God says to you, I am satisfied with what you're up to, with what you're doing. Just be steady as a rock as you're doing what God has called you to do. All right, that's point one. Verse two. I'm sorry, but let's move on to verse 13. Verse 13 says, watch this. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate, D-U-N-G. Most of you know what dung is. To inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. I'm going to slow down for a moment. Uh, that, that well that he's talking about, the jackal's well, another name was the dragon's well. Uh, it, it was a place where uh, it was a representation where uh, the waters would flow from the mouth of uh, the symbol of a dragon and it would flow forth into the city. That dung gate or the dung port was the place of the city where all the filth was removed from the city and it went into a valley called Hinnom. And that's how they got rid of their excrement and all of the filth and tried to keep a sanitary city. That's verse 13. Verse 14, he says, Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. Now, remember, he was the only one on a mount, but he got to the king's pool. And his donkey couldn't move through it because there was so much rubble. Remember, y'all, I told you, this was a destroyed city. And his assignment tonight in the dark is to examine the work that needs to be done. So he went out through the fountain gate to the king's pool. What's the king's pool? Well, according to historical context in biblical times, that was a... a, a the aqueduct that King Hezekiah had built so that the pools of water would be brought in from the pool of Gihon and the city would have a supply of water 
Verse 15. So though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again through the valley gate. So he left through the valley gate. Now he's coming back through the valley gate. And this brook was the Kidron Brook. And he says, by the gate of the valley, this is the valley through which the brook of Kidron flowed. And, and not only did he leave that way, but it says that he returned that way as well. Let's go to verse 16. Verse 16. The city officials did not know what I, that I had been out there or what I was doing. For I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. Family as leaders, sometimes, in fact, let me back up. I'm removing the word sometime. Leadership is often a lonely position. Yes, you can have folk that are advisors around you. But many times, a leader can't say everything even to his advisors. And I'm using the word his. It might be a female leader. I'm, I'm using the word his. But if you are a leader, there are going to be many occasions when though you want somebody with you, though you would love to confide in somebody, though you would love to be able to have somebody put their arm around you, every now and then you may need someone to pray for you. But there are seasons in your life of leadership. Uh, maybe you are a single parent today. Maybe you're the husband and or the head of a household today. Maybe you are the business owner today. And, and, and you are responsible for the lives of others. And you've seen things. You know things. You've heard reports. You, you see what's coming down the road and you don't like what you see and you know that it's going to be difficult for the ones that are that you are responsible for. But there are times when you cannot take your burden, your care, your fear, or anything else to anybody but the Lord. And I'm telling you today, as leaders, one of the things that Nehemiah learned early on when he got that negative report is how to take his burden to the Lord and leave it there. Four months he prayed. Four months he fasted. But he didn't tell anybody what was in his mind or what God was doing in his heart. Now he's arrived at the city. But because God was building him as a leader, he learned that his leaning post was God and God all by himself. So even though he had gone out, even in verse 16, he said, I haven't told a soul. Nobody knows what I was up to. His leaning post was God, y'all. In other words, God was using Nehemiah to teach you and me an object lesson. Think about it. Nothing in the text tells us that Nehemiah had ever previously been a leader. But when God puts his hand on you for leadership, you better believe that God did not make a mistake. He knows what's in you 
In fact, I heard the psalmist say, he knows my in, inner parts because he made me and he knows what he made me for. And, and so even though nobody else might have seen you as the leader, God knows what he's doing and he knows the call that he had upon you. We learned in chapters one and two that Nehemiah had been handpicked by God to be the leader for an extraordinarily important rebuilding and restoration project. Well, let me just uh, get, slow down for a moment here. Restoration, rebuilding. Your family might need restoration. Your home might need restoration. Your community might need restoration. Your workplace might, might need re restoration. Wait a minute. Let me slow down from that even more. You might need restoration. You might be quaking on the inside. You might be broken down yourself on the inside. Maybe your mate has left. Maybe you have lost a loved one. Maybe you didn't get the promotion that you thought you should get. Maybe you can't see what God sees in you. And, and, and I want to tell you that because you are a man and woman of God, one of the things that is important for us to learn is that in God, we learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, you might be broken up, torn apart, torn down, and need to be put back together again. Let me tell you something, and I, I don't mean to be corny, but your name is not Humpty Dumpty. Your name is man or woman of God. And while they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again, when you build your hope on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, I guarantee you God can put together every piece of your brokenness. It doesn't matter how small. It could be the size of a grain of sand. You could be like a rock beaten to grains of sand. And God can put that entire rock back together again because his assignment is in you to rebuild the walls of the torn down city. I hope you're hearing me this morning because God it will use you to rebuild, but he will rebuild and restore you so that you can be the instrument for the rebuilding and restoration project that God has for you. Listen, I want to make one or two more quick points and then we'll get ready to close for today. When God puts his hand on you as a leader, I want you to be careful. It is essential that we get like this with God, that we get in so tight and so close that the enemy cannot confuse your mind and your heart. I heard it said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Let me tell you something. You can start with the best motivation in the world, but it is easy when you start moving into positions of leadership and authority and opportunity becomes available to you that you can lose your mind, your focus, 
and the assignment that God has given you. If you don't believe me, just look around. In the news today, we see politicians who have been built up. Now they're crumbling. Why? Not because they weren't good intention from the beginning, but power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So I'm warning you today, fair warning to all of us as men and women who God has called to lead, be careful that you stay so clearly focused on him that your mind is there, your heart is there, your being is in him and not in you. So that when they start patting you on the back, you don't lose focus from off of God because you don't want your leadership to get corrupted by the heart that can come from the people that are around you. This brother went out on his own. Yeah, he had a few folk with him, but they didn't know what he was up to. And when God gives you an assignment, often he wants you to work it out with him before you can reveal it to anybody else. Let me give you this example, and then we're going to get ready to close. Uh, many of you, if you're part of River of Life, you know what I'm talking about. Many of you that have been watching in, you don't really know our story. But for years, we were kind of a, a body of believers looking for the home place that we knew God wanted us to be. And we were in numerous locations while we were waiting for God to show us where we were to plant for the season that we're in. We made multiple moves and all along praying, all along looking under God. But we knew that God had a place that was handpicked for us. And what we had to do is remind ourselves that God had the place for us. It wasn't about uh, what we wanted. It was about what God wanted. The second thing we had to learn is that not only did God have the place, but God had the timing. Many people would come and say, you ought to move here. You ought to go there. And it could have easily been tempting because there were options and opportunities that looked well, looked good. But what we had to learn is that you don't move just because it looks good. Oh, I'm talking to somebody today that, that saw somebody that looked good to you and you thought that was the man or woman for you. Don't move just because they look good. Don't move just because they sound good. You need to hear from God. And if you don't know how to hear from God, be still and learn how to hear the voice and know that God is for you. And as you move with God, he'll move on your behalf. Let me close with this. By and by, after a while, God showed us not only when he showed us, I mean, not only where, but he showed us when. And when that, that where and when came, we were careful about who we spoke to. I, I had a friend who uh, went into a group of ministers that, that, that she was commonly meeting with every Monday, told them that she had found the building and that she was getting ready to sign the, the, the papers to move into the building. When she got there, 
somebody that had been in the meeting had gotten there and made an offer greater than hers and got the building that she had told them she was about to get. Let me tell you a little secret. Sometimes you got to zip it until God releases it. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying to you. It might feel good. You might be running over. You might be bubbling over. You might be having a hard time keeping it to yourself. But Nehemiah was able to zip it until God released it. And so he said, I told nobody. When, we, when that time came to us, it was us and our board members. And when it was time to move, we released it to the congregation. But by that time, everything was signed, sealed, and delivered. Nehemiah was moving, but he wasn't talking because there was work to be done. And I'm going to close with this. There's always somebody on the sideline who wants to discourage, who wants to dissuade, who wants to stop, who wants to delay and keep you from accomplishing the mission that God has given you. And you can give them ammunition by running it instead of zipping it. So I'm saying to you as I close out today, Nehemiah said, I didn't do any talking. I just did the examination. God had examined his heart, filled his heart with the assignment, the mission statement, and then said, go examine the walls, but don't tell anybody what you're up to. And I'm saying to you as I close today, God has a mission statement for you. You let God build it in you. Slow your roll and let God equip you so that when it's time to make your move, God will say move, and then he will equip you with everything that you need to complete that assignment. I want you to know this morning, as we get ready to close, that God was raising up in you like he was raising up in Nehemiah, an assignment, and that assignment is from one high. But if you don't allow God to build you, then that, accomp that assignment can be ac not accomplished. I'm sorry, cannot be accomplished in you. So spend that time with the Lord. Let him build you so that when the moment comes, you will be ready to move on. And don't think it will be without opposition. Next week, we're going to talk about the opposition. Because with every assignment from God, there will always, in all capital letters, y'all, A-L-W-A-Y-S, always be opposition. But our God is greater than the opposition. And the only way the opposition can slow you down is if you give them the information that God wants you to keep for you. May God bless you and heaven smile on you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. We're going to close right there for today, but I do want you to take a few more moments with me because this is the opportunity where you can uh, become a part of the body of Christ. 
I have learned in my life experience that uh, I've done many things, but nothing has been as meaningful, as purposeful, and as incredibly powerful as when I joined my life with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to open the doors of the church today. I want to give you an opportunity to get to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And while I'm giving this opportunity to those who have never confessed Christ, I'm also opening the doors today for any person who has confessed Christ as Lord, but you know that you're living in a backslidden condition. You recognize that right now, you are not where you need to be in Christ. If that is you, I want you to pray with me as I pray the sinner's prayer and give you an opportunity to come to Christ. There's a third invitation also. And this invitation is for any person listening in, watching in, joining in with us today who does not have a church home. The River of Life Christian Center is located in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. If you're within a hundred miles radius of Upper Marlboro, Maryland, uh, we know plenty of folk who drive hundreds of miles to go to church on Sunday. We're not in the building right now, but we look to be back there soon. And we invite you to join us. We do have some people who are long distance, who are, who are joining with us through the virtual Facebook page every week. And we invite you to join in with us as well. So if you would, uh, this invitation is open to each of you. Won't you bow your heads and pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you this morning acknowledging that I am a sinner. I realize, God, that I've lived my life for too long without you having control and authority in my life. God, I, I, I confess to you right now that I'm tired of this life without you. Uh, the enemy has been whipping on me, and I didn't understand it. But I heard the preacher today talk about life in Christ. I heard the preacher today talk about how the enemy can try to distract and disturb and even keep us from accomplishing the things that you want us to accomplish. God, I want to live the victorious life. And so I, I, I yield to you today. I come not only acknowledging that I'm a sinner, but I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and that you have raised him from the dead. For the preacher is saying to me right now that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you have raised Jesus from the dead, that I shall be saved. And so right now, I thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. God, there are some who are recommitting their life and, and as they're praying with us right now, that uh, we commit our lives, recommit our lives to you, Lord. We realize that we have roamed far from the distant shore, but we're coming home today and we ask you to receive us yes. back into the family of Christ. And then God, there may be someone who is looking to align themselves with the River of Life family. God, we, we reach out through you to each of them that they might too become connected with this branch of Zion, River of Life Christian Center, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. God, we thank you 
and we bless you for everyone who has prayed that prayer with us, for those who are willing to make this commitment with us this morning, this commitment to Christ as we've been praying and teaching in Jesus' name. We give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you praise. 